Good morning, everyone. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm just going to set a few things up here before I start. Okay. I want you to meet Mr. Luminaire. Now, he was recently gifted the most amazing bulb ever known in the world. I think it was called something like the Lumin 2000 Retina Burn. It was like so bright. And well, he got it home and he he tried it out. Woo, careful. And he found, he, he really enjoyed it for a long time. And he saw lots of people were looking at him. He was drawing lots of attention. And, uh, and, and then one day, um, he, he just decided to put this over the top. And he, he didn't understand. He said, well, it's not, it's not shining so brightly. And so he called the shop that was gifting these bulbs out and said, I don't understand. Um, my bulb is uh, very dim. And the, the guy said, oh, sir, I'm sorry. I don't know. Please explain. And so he went on and explained. Well... It was working fine, and then I put this uh, basket over it, and now it's growing. It's, it's just not really bright as, as it was before. And the, the shop assistant said, well, well I, I don't think it's the, the, the bulb which is dim. Another story. There was a little boy. You imagine nativity scenes are about to uh, start. Little boy. Let's pretend it's my little Eden. We're very excited. He's got... The role of being the star. Wow. So we dress him in yellow leggings and uh, you know, all sparkle tinsel all over him. And it's, this is his moment. We're all there with our video cameras. This is a few years ago. Not phones. And, uh, and we're all very excited. And his moment, he's in the corner. They're ready to hoist him up to shine brightly in this nativity scene. And um, so he's just in the corner waiting. And then he wets himself. And then, and then he, he get, hides in the corner and he, he just, he, fi- he finds a bin and he just puts it over his head and he stands there. Oh. And, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Hopefully you know where I'm going with this. It, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? This, this whole scenario of this bright light and then a basket or a bucket put over the top of this light. How would the parents feel watching their son? It's their, his moment. He's the star. He's going to shine brightly in this moment. And then through circumstances, he covers up. So let's read our passage. You can turn to it if you want. Matthew five thirteen and 14. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavour. Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So, 
imagine the scene. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. And um, imagine the scene where um, Jesus starts saying this to his disciples and the crowds that are gathered. You are the light of the world. I would have thought maybe a few of them were thinking, oh, he's made a bit of a mistake there. He's got his Greek and Hebrew word for you and I mixed up. He's the light of the world. A bit embarrassing. Let's look the other way. But God was very intentional. He knowingly transferred his role of the light of the world to you and me. It wasn't just his disciples, it's to you and me. He's not just passed us the torch, he's made us the torch. As a church, we like to say, we exist to shine the transforming light of Jesus to everyone we meet. This is a good call upon our lives. Just to reaffirm that Jesus has done this and how he's done this. It says in Colossians 1.27, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for the Gentiles too. And this is the secret. This is the secret, everyone, to us being the light. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you remember a few weeks ago when Rick was sharing brilliantly, I've heard it now, I've managed to catch up, about the Sermon on the Mount. He was saying it's not about a list of rules and uh, kind of laws that that we're to try and follow. Rather, the Sermon on the Mount, including this bit here, it's talking about the culture of how we live naturally when we're connected with Jesus. They're the announcement of the good news of the kingdom of God. Therefore, this, this passage isn't saying you must try and shine more brightly. You must try harder. You, maybe you need to fill up your lamp a bit more. Maybe you need to stoke the fires and be on fire for Jesus more. No, you are the light of the world and Jesus is in you. He says, you're the light of the world, let your light shine. I mean, from the, the things we had earlier about stepping out in power and authority, it's not about you doing any more other than letting your light shine. Letting the, the love of Jesus shine through you. There's nothing wrong with the light of Jesus in you. It's not covered up. It's not in, in, in shadows from himself, only from what we place on ourselves. So... I believe these words to us are, are really important. And if we believe that we are the light of the world, it, it just transforms who we are. It gives us a sense of, of belonging, a sense of value and purpose. And I'll explain that in a minute. But first of all, I want you to just ask each other, when, when you ask each other, who are you? I want you to say with confidence and assurance, I am the light of the world. For some of you, this isn't going to come easy. But I think this is a good thing because... It says it in God's word, that you are the light of the world. So turn to the person next to say, who are you? And I want you to say, I am the light of the world. I think that's good. That's good for you to start. This is where it starts. You're the, I want to tell you, each one of you are the radiance of the Father. You are the radiance of the kingdom of heaven. 
we start living out the best version of ourselves when we believe this. You know, in the Bible, it says the Spirit of God comes and it calls us to call out Abba Father. So it reaffirms that we're children of God. I believe also, as, as we shine, it reaffirms that we are His light, that we're emitting His radiance, that we're proclaiming His gospel. So through being lights, uh, firstly, I think it gives us a sense of a belonging. In our passage, it says it's like a city on a hill. What it says, it talks about it being in a house. Being light is a place of community. It's a place of family. In the dark landscape of Galilee, you can imagine this city on a hill. It's where people gathered. They found acceptance and community and connection, security and love. So firstly, it gives us a sense of belonging, being the light. Secondly, it gives us value. You are worth a lot in Christ's eyes. You are worth so much. You're so valuable. We might be a I mean, do you remember the story about the ten virgins, how they didn't have their lamps filled up? That was a that was real value in having light for them. Read the story in Matthew 25. Maybe you understand the value of light now. With this uh, cost of living crisis, who's going around turning all the lights off in their house after their children? I'm going everywhere, turning like, oh, not again. Light is valuable. It's become even more valuable. You are valuable. It gives us a sense of purpose. You have amazing significance. It's really important that you light up the room. We went to, uh, went to London, went to the Tate Modern on Friday. It would have been rubbish if there was no lights in the rooms. It would have been just, it, those lights were really important. They had significance to light up all the artwork in the Tate Modern. So... You have real purpose in pushing away the darkness. We are a warning light. We're a drawing light. We're a guiding light. We want to draw people to the Father. The instruction to shine is actually very freeing. Just shine. You don't have to be more clever, more thin, more significant in your own self. You just have to shine simply through sharing the love of Christ. So there's absolutely no dispute on this light in you. But there is a question raised as to whether the light becomes covered or concealed in our lives. Whether it's not elevated to be seen in the rightful place. People don't take a lamp and put it under a basket, or do they? Do we take our lamp and put it under a basket. I felt led to speak about one particular area where I felt that maybe this causes people to hide away. And I want to talk about shame. At the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, shame entered. They said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I went under a basket. And since then, I believe shame has been driving many people to hide away. I want to suggest that we hide away through fear and shame. There may be other reasons that we hide away, 
but this is the one area I want to pick up on. And I want to get us, get us to a place where we have dignity in overcoming our shame. We have a sense of identity of who we are in Christ so we can shine as the Father intended and purposed us to shine. He wants to, us to be free, that we would live in this, the goodness of this gospel hope, of this reconciliation, that we would all be kind of vessels of his good news. The, the lyrics in the song, I am who you say I am, who the sun sets free is free indeed. The person who wrote that didn't make those words up. That's come from the Bible, from John eight thirty six. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I have this conviction that, that free people, free people. And so I want us to bring us all to a place of identity where we're free, that we might free others in this discipleship adventure. The enemy wants the reverse. He's quite happy when you're in hiding. He's quite happy when you're not shining your light. He wants you to go under the radar and not be seen. So other ways that we might go into hiding our light are through just conforming. You may remember a few weeks back when Norbert shared about his chameleon, about it just conformed to its environment and hid so no one could see. That may be one way you hide. But we are in a dark and broken world and we need to not display the earthly culture around us, but the kingdom culture that brings light to the surroundings. Other baskets that conceal our light might be ways we just cover up. We have a, a facade, a mask. We don't really reveal the real self. It, it may be through gossip. It may be through our, our, our temper. Or it may be put down humour that we conceal the light and people can't see the love of Jesus it may be through impatience or a superiority these behaviours belong to the darkness and not to the light fear of shame is one of the most crippling and debilitating feelings it tells you that you're unworthy to offer anything so to qualify, I just want to talk about guilt a little bit. Guilt is the feeling that you did something wrong. And uh, our consciences encourage us to take action, to put rights, and to make amends, to say sorry. And this is good. Shame is the feeling that you, your whole self is wrong and that there's something wrong with you. That nothing good can come from our lives. Condemnation comes and it points the finger and says, you'll never change. It accuses you, it shows you the problem, and never shows you a way out. But praise God, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So in comparison, conviction by the Holy Spirit shows you the answer. It shows the answer of forgiveness through the cross. And empowers you to change through the Holy Spirit. So I want to just quickly look at the, uh, the cross, actually, because I believe that's where our shame has been dealt with. And we can see from Jesus' example on the cross how to overcome shame. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me talk about this word, despising the shame. See, he, he had this joy, this vision joy before him, which enabled him to endure the cross and enabled him to disregard the shame. It was shameful what he went through. He was able to ignore it and put it in his place, accepting it as nothing and putting it in its rightful place. Shame can take many forms, and I think we can see a few through the cross. For Jesus, his friends deserted him. He felt that abandoning, lonely shame. Some of you may relate to how Jesus felt. Shame is often said about not being able to go back into the room where your friends and family are because you just feel so shameful. He was mocked and jeered at. It was a humiliating shame. He was stripped naked as an exposing shame. He was tortured and beaten as a degrading shame. But in the light of all this, where Jesus experienced our shame, I like the way John Piper says this of Jesus, of this passage. I'm just going to read it. He says, Jesus spoke to the shame like this. Listen to me. Shame, do you see that joy in front of me? Compared to that, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power? Compared to the joy before me, you have none. Joy, joy, joy. That is my power, not you. Shame, you are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me. I won't even look at you. I have a joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You are ugly and despicable and you are almost finished. You covered me now as with a shroud before you say, so there I will throw you off like a filthy rag. I will put, you, I will put on my royal robe. You think you are great because even last night you made my disciples run away. You're a fool, shame. You're a despicable fool. That abandonment, that loneliness, this cross, these tools of yours, they are all my sacred suffering and will save my disciples, not destroy them. You're a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. That's the way to look at shame. Farewell, shame. It is finished. He spoke to shame. You can do the same. You have a joy set before you. I love what Keith brought about the praise of infants. You have a joy. You have something to, be, to praise. The joy of being reconciled now and for eternity with the living Lord Jesus, with the Trinity. This is your joy. In light of that, shame be gone. Maybe some of you need to say goodbye to shame this morning. Our antidote, antidote to shame is the joy of knowing Jesus. Let's renew our praise perspective, this joy vision. So does shame thrust you into hiding, secrecy, hold you back from coming forward and shining? Now sometimes sin can be the root of our shame. But praise God, there is forgiveness and freedom. Hebrews 8, 12 says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities. 
I will remember their sins no more. 2 Corinthians 5.19 For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. But there are still circumstances in our lives which paralyze us through shame. That stop us coming forward when we have the opportunity to speak, to dumb down, to maybe bring an idea or display a good deed of compassion and love. You just say to yourself, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. What can I offer? And you crawl under your basket. Maybe your dark cave of shame has come through unemployment, a failed marriage. You don't feel pretty or smart enough. Maybe your dad never said he was proud of you. Maybe you just feel like a rubbish parent. Maybe you can't control your temper and you feel shame and you hide as a a broad generalization there's a Dr. Brené Brown who has researched the whole topic of shame and she just says there are generalizations but for women they have this unachievable expectation on appearance and we you know so there's body shame And we can just look at the the global market for cosmetics, which I think runs into somewhere like 320 billion, 35 billion on cosmetic surgery. That would support this idea that women have this sense of body shame. For men, it's through the idea that I must never be, be perceived as weak. I must be the fixer of all things. The shame of appearing weak before others. There's just three experiences of my life as I've just been doing a bit of searching myself. Um, I remember at school, I had this inexplicable fear of reading aloud in class. And I remember the teacher saying, can you read this passage? And I read it quivering, wavering. I got so confused and befuddled that I read the same line twice and then the whole class just fell about in laughter I can still feel the humiliation and the pain of just that small experience in my life and I remember going forward whenever the teacher was going to read get people to read out aloud I would literally hide under the desk I would pretend I was getting something, a pencil from my bag or something. I would hide. I would go into hiding. I remember two months into marriage, um, I was made redundant. Two months into marriage, made redundant. And I remember still meeting some of Jen's friends. We are going to, it was around Christmas time, so I remember meeting lots of Jen's friends for the first time and all that conversation. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I do this. Oh, what do you do? Uh, and I just that feeling of sort of inadequacy and just that feeling of, oh, what have I got to offer? And wanting just to hide in the toilets. Just because I was, oh, wow, yeah, I'm sort of in between jobs. That was my best line. I'm in between jobs. <laughs> that was the only way. 
And more recently, I'm going to be really honest with you, I don't want you to pity me because I am in a good place. Okay, I'm here now reading. I'm okay. But more recently, I've shared with you my shoulder injury. This, this thing about I must never be perceived as weak. I felt this physically. I felt that I'm just physically weak. But I actually, as I was thinking about this more recently, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, how is this affecting me psychologically? And I think it's having more of an effect on me psychologically because I can't do some of the things that I love to do, like fixing things around the house. So the other day I had to get Jen to drill, I can't even lift my hand up, to drill in the, um, in the ceiling to put up a, a blind. I couldn't do that. I want, that's the thing I do. I feel, I feel so inadequate. Or just playing basketball. Sorry, inadequate as a husband. I feel a bit inadequate as a father at the moment. Simple things like with Eden, going surfing a couple of weeks ago when we were in Devon. He's out there. I can't go. I'm just watching from the edge, getting water on my ankles. Or I can't play basketball or throw a frisbee with him. I love these things. So I feel a bit weak as a dad. As a granddad, I feel a little bit weak. I loved growing up with my children, throwing my children in the air. To great pleasure to see how high I could get them before they start screaming in tears. I'd love to do that with my grandson's iron. I'd love to. I can't. I, I, can, only, I can only hold him for a few minutes, then it gets too heavy and my arm gives way. I'd love. So I feel. So these things, they affect us. But I want to tell you what I've learned through these moments is that I, I'm not actually. Who I am is not what I do or how I perform. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I've discovered also that when we are authentic and vulnerable, it allows people really close. They get to see the real you. We can make meaningful connections and have a greater sense of belonging with one another. And it's through those moments of weakness that the light can shine through brightly. Do you remember the Kintsugi lamps that I did a few, I can't remember, a few years ago? The, the, the broken pottery lamps that they smash and then they put them back together using this liquid gold and then they put a lamp inside and the light shines through the cracks and they're actually more beautiful than they were before. Being the light of the world does not mean we have to wait till we're perfect. Only God can do that. He's the perfect one. But the good news is he's in you. It means that you allow Christ to shine in you through the cracks. We can behave counterculturally, distinctive lives, different to the darkness that surrounds us. Philippians 2.15 says this, In the midst of a crooked, I've got gone for the Amplified just to help you, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, spiritually perverted and perverse, among you are seen as bright lights, stars or beacons shining out clearly in the dark world. And when we do this, what happens? Everyone will praise your heavenly father. I was reminded of the, the star that led the wise men 
to Jesus when he was born. Imagine in this moment when this star has to rise above Bethlehem and lead people. He said, I just don't feel good enough. Choose one of the other stars. Serious, he's bright, bright at the moment. Let him step forward. What I'm trying to say is you, to you is just as the, the boy stepping forward in the nativity, just as Mr. Luminaire, we have a moment to shine, and it's now. And I believe the Lord would just encourage us to, to live out this adventure of shining his light and his love. This isn't one pursuit amongst lots of pursuits in the Christian. This is your one purpose, to shine. This is your one purpose, to shine. To shine his glory. As we let our good deeds shine, as we love one another above ourselves, it's this light that draws people like moths to a lamp. People will be attracted to this revolution as we demonstrate kingdom life, as we demonstrate this new light that display, this displays abundant life to others. Others will see life in our light as we announce this good news with our lives, as we share our stories. So let your light shine. Let's expose the darkness. Let's be like beacons that are warning people of the danger. Mr. Luminaire, issue was not that the, the bulb wasn't working. It was that he had covered up his light. Do you, any of you need to be elevated and remove any baskets now in your life? As we close, I'd like just to, let me just read Psalm 103, 1 to 12 over you. You can close your eyes. This is what the Lord Jesus has done. Oh, my soul, bless God from head to toe. I'll bless his holy name. Oh, my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, everyone. He heals your diseases, everyone. He redeems you from hell, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty, eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in his presence. God makes everything come out right. He puts victims back on their feet. He showed Moses how he went about his work, opened up his plans to all Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as the heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. And as far as the sunrise is from the sunset, he has separated us from our sins. And I'll add, and our shame. 
It's because of his great love, his great light that he's given you, he's gifted you, that you can shine brightly. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Amen.